Welcome to Click, Treat, Repeat. This is a horse-focused podcast discussing positive reinforcement training, equine management and welfare, and other horse-related topics. So let's get started. There's a difference to within positive reinforcement trainers. Like there's some that tend to be a little more coercive and rely more on negative punishment. And there's others that are more like purely positive, though it doesn't really exist, but they use a lot of positive reinforcement and avoid the rest. And that's what I go for if I'm looking for a professional or just working with my animals on my own. But other people might kind of hang around in the negative punishment a little more than other trainers. That is definitely true. And I guess, I guess for me, like if I was looking for a trainer, I would want like the least harm possible to my horse. So I'd rather like take a chance on somebody who is not going to be using really much of any coercive or aversive measures or anything like that. And just know that my horse isn't going to be in an uncomfortable or painful or fearful situation. I'd probably be a little bit of a freak about it and just drive them down to Texas with Adele <laughs> or Arkansas <laughs> with Jill. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I'm a little extreme with that. So <laughs> not everyone is like that. Yeah, I mean, some people travel really far for good trainers. Like I know Shelby Dennis has a horse right now. I forget where the horse is from, but it was shipped like. I don't know, like a thousand miles or something to get to her, which is really crazy. I mean, it was definitely a horse from the U.S., like going to Canada. So it's crazy. Yeah. (laughs) They trust her a lot, though. So go for it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if I was looking for a negative reinforcement trainer, I'd probably pick her, too. So (laughs) for sure. She's very educated. And I appreciate that about her because I feel like a lot of negative reinforcement trainers don't have that. Yeah, and I I think she does also use some positive reinforcement, so that's good as well. But yeah, she definitely seems like a really well-educated, really good person if you were looking for a negative reinforcement trainer. Yeah, that's all completely off topic, but... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I guess like if we wanted to kind of try to bring it back, I guess like talking about experience and knowledge and whatnot, I wouldn't necessarily personally recommend using tactile cues for horses if you're not experienced already with positive reinforcement and the body language and things like that, that the horse is going to be able to communicate to you with. Because if you don't know exactly what you're doing, I think there is um, a decent probability that you might accidentally verge into aversive pressure territory. And if that is not the goal, which I'm assuming it's not, if you're trying to use tactile cues with positive reinforcement, then you definitely want to avoid that. So I think like either working with somebody who is really knowledgeable or just kind of holding off on that until you're more experienced, I think that is probably a good idea. I mean, that's just my opinion. Like other people might disagree with that, but I think just starting with the, you know, other types of cues that aren't tactile like you can do verbal cues, visual cues, um, things like that. I think that's probably a better bet for beginners. Yeah, for sure. I think tactile cues are definitely a little more advanced and you'd want to focus a lot on those foundation behaviors first. And realistically, you don't have to touch your horse to teach them anything besides like if you're sitting on them. But beyond that... You don't have to touch your horse ever. You can train them everything without ever touching them. I don't think people always realize that because a lot of positive reinforcement trainers are crossover. We started with negative reinforcement and traditional training and then switched over. So sometimes those things kind of come as habit. I also think it's important to work on yourself so you're not going to escalate the pressure prior to using tactile cues with your horse. I think that's that's definitely really important and making sure that the 
human and the horse both have an understanding of like what positive reinforcement is and like how we train in this way and everything so that they're kind of in the right mindset for it and they're not going to be perceiving it as pressure that they need to move away from. Exactly. And I think if there are things that you want to maintain, certain behaviors you want to keep, then you can still use negative reinforcement while you're figuring out how to use it in a positive reinforcement way. Like it's okay to keep some of the behaviors your horse already has as long as they're not overly stressed about it. If you're boarding somewhere, you can't just tell the barn owner not to lead your horse out to the pasture. So (laughs) some of those things are going to have to be maintained. And that's okay because it's for the welfare of the horse to send them out on pasture with their buddies. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You can work on teaching that with positive reinforcement, just you have to maintain it however you have to in that moment. That's so true when you don't own the horse or you don't have full control over everything that's happening with the horse, even if you do own the horse, then that's definitely important to make sure that you're maintaining the things you need to maintain. Like you don't want to get into a situation where you're just going to refuse to use the former training and then you suddenly have like a vet emergency or something and you can't, you know, do what you're supposed to do. I'm pretty sure anyone in that situation would just do what they need to do because it's an emergency, but you know, it's, it's okay. You're not being a bad person or a bad trainer by kind of taking it slow and keeping some of those old things in there, especially if you're doing other things to kind of minimize the stress for the horse. Yeah. I think when people start to learn about positive reinforcement, it can be really easy to just be like, oh, everything I was doing is awful. I'm not going to do it ever again. (laughs) But there are things that you have to continue doing. Like your horse still needs trims. They still need vet work. They still have to go in and out of their stalls if they're boarding somewhere like there's still things that they have to do for their welfare that you can't just drop and like maybe if you have a horse that's super overweight I don't think it's the end of the world to lunge them using negative reinforcement there's still things you can do and you can make it more ethical but I don't think you have to drop everything right off the bat and go cold turkey on it yeah that's so true I definitely feel the fat horses need to exercise (laughs) things like once in a while I'm like I could lunge them like they're so fat I could just just do it a little bit and then I'm like no I really don't want to do that because I really don't want to use negative reinforcement and I'll try to figure out ways to do this with positive reinforcement but like it's definitely I definitely see how like improving their health by exercise could be potentially more important than having like a completely pure positive reinforcement training like I I don't intentionally use any type of negative reinforcement unless it's like I don't own the horses and I'm being told to do something like a certain way that I don't have control over. Like everything that I intentionally do with the horses, I use as much positive reinforcement as possible and try to stay away from the other things. But I'm also sometimes like they just really need to lose weight. (laughs) Yeah, I've had that same struggle since I got Wonder basically when I started using positive reinforcement because he's not like ridiculously overweight. Any normal horse person would probably tell me he's fat, but (laughs) I think he's pretty healthy, (laughs) but he has arthritis and because of that compromises his back. So I feel like for him, more exercise would be a good idea, but I don't want to implement negative reinforcement to do that because he's so sensitive. So I have this like constant battle of what I should really do for him. But I think right now, it's a lot better because our pasture is pretty big and there is some elevation changes. So he's kind of getting that exercise on his own, but still sometimes I'm like, is it more ethical to work in with negative reinforcement or 
but just leave it and try to implement the same things with positive reinforcement, obviously breaking it down more and starting in a smaller approximation. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's definitely the same struggle that I have, but I don't know. Ultimately, like my horses won't work on grass using positive reinforcement. And unfortunately, grass is really the only space we have that has enough room for them to really go faster than like a very slow trot at most. So it's just, it's not ideal because if I ever wanted them to really get into like a faster trot or a canter or something, like it would have to be on grass. And I just don't think that they would do that with positive reinforcement training since they have limited access to forage and they're very excited when they get on grass. And I've tried training with grass, like using the grass as a reinforcer. Um, I've tried letting them graze for a while before I start the training session and all those things. And nothing I've tried has really helped them be more focused. So I've just kind of come to understand that like given the situation and the management of my horses, like they're just not gonna work very effectively on grass. So I just don't really try anymore, but that kind of limits like the amount of exercise that they can get to. Yeah, that's a really tough situation. I don't have an arena either. So like, I'm going to have a similar issue in the winter when yeah. <laughs> all they have is hay. Obviously I'm going to spread it out throughout the day, but they're just going to have hay and they're probably going to be more drawn to that than what I'm doing. And that's definitely a struggle. I think a lot of people go through, especially in boarding situations or where, when the horse isn't yours, because you don't have control over how they're fed and you don't have control over what amenities you have access to. And it can be complicated. And I think that's where negative reinforcement does have a place. I mean, I definitely agree. And I think another thing, this is kind of random and like off topic of what we were talking about, but <laughs> I think like, I think it's really important to understand too, like how sensitive horses are to touch and pressure and whatnot. And I think it's really interesting that touch and pressure is such a big part of like our interaction with horses over the years like not us specifically, but just humans in general are always using touch and pressure on horses. But yet there's like very little research out there. Like I was looking for some research out there about how horses experience touch and whatnot. And there was like very little out there. Like, obviously we know that the epidermis, like the outer layer of horse skin is thinner than the human epidermis. So they have basically fewer cells that are between their nerves and the outside world. So they're going to feel things pretty easily their skin is technically one millimeter thicker than ours but it's really more about the epidermis and like how thick or thin that is is sort of how they experience touch so I mean based on that it's pretty clear that they're gonna be very sensitive to touch but I think it's really interesting that there's not a lot of information out there so that's kind of just me like pulling information about the skin and kind of guessing or like making assumptions based on like how many cells are between the nerve endings in the environment to try to see how sensitive they are but I think some people should do some research on that especially like because it is so common yeah and I mean really it doesn't even take that much research if you just watch your horse they'll feel a fly land on a single hair on their body <laughs> so I don't know why that is so true <laughs> I don't know why we're relying so much on pressure and punishment because I mean I guess it works because they're so sensitive but we also know then that they can feel it really well and probably much better than we can because the common thing I hear is like oh well they play really rough they bite each other in the pasture but like that's 
different. <laughs> That's a horse to horse relationship. And like they're actually playing, they're not beating each other up usually sometimes it happens but that's usually a poor management issue but like I've seen at a horse show I went to when I was still riding one of the other riders like hit her friend with the whip and the rider or the friend was like oh my god that hurts so much and then she was like oh really that's a hard I was hitting my horse <laughs> and like it's just it's so stressful <laughs> why are we doing this oh my gosh yeah I mean that's that's fair it's it's crazy how much stressful stuff we put the horse through like I'm just thinking about how much I would like kick the horse back in lessons and whatnot and like how someone did that to me like what it would feel like and like just because they're bigger that doesn't mean that they are gonna not feel pain or that the pain is gonna be less like if anything they have like a harder time going through the world because they have this kind of big body that's you know, susceptible to injuries and whatnot. And so I think it's just crazy that it's so normalized and people really just don't understand the type of pain that they might be causing the horse. And like we've talked about before too, because horses don't make like really sounds of pain very often, it's a lot easier to kind of overlook it. Like a dog might whine or cry out or something, but a horse usually isn't going to make much of a sound. So it's just easy to kind of do it and feel like there's not anything going on yeah sometimes they don't even really have much of a reaction at all and I think that's why people don't really see an issue with it but it's because they're prey animals like they're designed to not show weakness basically so they don't get hunted down by predators yeah that's so true and this is like really probably getting off topic but this really (laughs) reminds me of like a really common like social psychology experiment with humans that most people that study psychology or just in the world probably know about is like the Milgram experiment where basically people were asked to administer shock to another participant when they got the answer wrong to a question and so the shock is kind of increasing in like voltage per time that the that the learner is shocked and so pretty much they're they're getting a lot of questions wrong so first they're getting shocked at 15 then 20 then 25 and things like that up until like something like 400 or something so it goes really high up there and 400 would like kill somebody but it's like it's fake so the person's not really getting shocked but the person who's doing the shocking thinks they are and so a lot of the participants would kind of stop the experiment and refuse to go on when it was getting to the point where the other person was kind of crying out and making like a verbal sound to show that they were in pain. Um, So I think like the verbal sound is really important for people to recognize that there is pain being inflicted. And even then a lot of people still continued on with the experiment until the end because of the experimenter telling them to continue. So I think honestly, like that does relate to horse training in the sense that I think a lot of us kind of do those violent things towards horses because we're being told to by someone who we think is an authority basically and knows more than us or is just in a position of power over us and that's just kind of like a thing of human nature where we're going to go ahead and continue with something if we feel like we have to to obey somebody who's in a position of authority and so yeah I think like that kind of explains why people do those types of things because they're just told by higher up people that they have to do it um but yeah, it's just really ridiculous how people are able to kind of overlook pain signals and whatnot. 
kind of just because that's the way that things are done. Like, I feel like you shouldn't have to need a bunch of education or anything to see that that's not right. You can just kind of know based on like values and things, but yet so many people don't know that, like, including us, like we've done traditional training and whatnot and, you know, possibly didn't realize it was wrong at first. Yeah. I mean, if you think of like children starting riding lessons, they're always really reluctant to kick the horse or pull on the reins because we know that that's going to hurt them or cause discomfort. But then over time, as we continue learning through an instructor, they kind of break that down and shut us down on speaking out about it. Because for me, I was constantly told like, oh, you're not hurting the horse. It's just like a tap. It's just a tap on the shoulder. Like they just kind of like minimize what's actually going on. Yeah, that's so true. And another thing I've heard a lot of people say is like, with the mane saying like, oh, they don't, they can't feel when you pull on their mane or whatever. And I honestly thought that was true up until like a year ago when I found out that it wasn't true. And I was just like, oh my God, I was always told like, you can just pull really hard on their mane and they don't care because they can't feel it, which doesn't really make sense. But for some reason, like that's a very common myth that a lot of people think is true. And it's just things like that, that you could figure out with a quick Google search, but we just kind of like believe because people told us. Yeah, exactly. I learned that pretty quick with Wonder because in general, he's pretty touch sensitive, but he hates his mane being touched. So it took a lot to even just brush it. He didn't even like it being brushed lightly, like where I would hold the base and like work out the snarls where it wouldn't really be yanking on him. Even that he didn't like. So I don't know. I feel like (laughs) a lot of horses are probably just shut down. and That's why they're not displaying that. Yeah, definitely so. And that's really good that you were kind of like listening to the horse over listening to what kind of random other people were saying. Yeah, I'm sure I got a lot of funny looks for everything I did at that part, but it's okay. (laughs) It worked to my benefit and wonders, so it's fine. Yeah, I've definitely gotten a lot of funny looks and things at barns, but I think it helped me to go to an all adult barn finally, because I was always like, I never really had friends that were into horses or like never really had barn friends or anything like that and so I was like in general always feeling kind of like out of like the social group at the barns like all the kids would hang out and whatnot and I just felt excluded from it because I just didn't have really the same perspective as them even when I was doing traditional training I still wasn't like really in oh I just hit my mic oops (laughs) but I wasn't really like in the same like mindset as them or anything so I don't know I just always felt left out but like going to an adult only barn I was like okay I might still be judged like adults can still judge you and be rude but they're not usually as petty as kids are (laughs) so that was helpful but yeah I've definitely also gotten some weird looks and probably people saying weird stuff (laughs) yeah me too I did make one sort of friend at that barn and I feel awful for her because she came into horses at a pretty old age, I think she's like in her 60s, super sweet lady, but she started taking lessons from the barn owner and the barn owner's like cousin or something. I don't remember who she was to her, but she taught lessons there too. And they were teaching her that her horse was acting out of dominance. So then she started getting rougher and rougher and rougher. And I like kind of saw that progress happening or that process happening. And like it hurt because at first she was really upset by it she was like oh this can't be true this isn't right but now she's still at that same barn and she's still implementing the same training but 
to a higher degree. And it's just, it sucks to see the person broken down like that. And it also sucks to see the horse being mislabeled or labeled at all, really, because it's not a dominance behavior. This horse was a rescue who was younger and kind of mouthy and pushy in quotation. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But they just treated it like this horse was like egotistical and seeking power over them. And that's just not how it works. Yeah, that's just, that's really weird. I don't get why people are so committed to seeing their horses as being against them, constantly trying to trick them and like become dominant over them. It's just like, why? (laughs) I don't get like where that comes from, to be honest, because I mean, I guess it comes from dominance theory, but even so, I just don't understand why that has become like such a common way of seeing horses and seeing horse-human relationships in just in everyday life like normal people who maybe ride a couple times a week and just you know board their horse at a pasture board place and like aren't really doing anything super intense like it's really strange that people are so comfortable having that adversarial relationship with their horse or feeling like they have that relationship like it's yeah. just very that's not how horses operate at all. <laughs> no, not at all. I think people as a whole, we like to make things about ourselves. And I think that's kind of part of where it comes from because the horse can't be acting for themselves. They're acting for us, right? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I guess that's what people think. I don't know. I mean, I have heard a lot of people say that it's very confidence boosting for them to feel like they're having power over such a large animal, which kind of makes sense but I feel like for me it's been a lot more like genuine for me and building up like my confidence and whatnot to be able to have like a positive relationship with the horse and to be able to accomplish things that I feel good about and that I feel like the horse is also enjoying and kind of working on a mutually beneficial relationship there I think that's a lot more rewarding for me and hopefully for other people too than just having power is like I in general having power at the expense of another living thing might feel good but I don't think that's ultimately a very healthy goal yeah I don't think so either and for me personally with my animals and puppies I work with at work I feel empowered by empowering them because what I'm doing is working and that's reinforcing for me as well as them so I think you still kind of get a similar sensation I guess but it comes from a more positive thing than a negative and that also goes back to the study you mentioned where I think that was in a KPA course I took and there were a couple people I think that actually kind of felt empowered by that by having the control over that machine mm-hmm. and that's a similar thing that happens to people that are training their horses because the positive punishment ends the behavior immediately and then we feel reinforced positively reinforced by the ending of that behavior that's yeah that's very true and I feel like the culture at barns especially like in the horse world in general but especially at boarding barns is like you feel embarrassed if the horse isn't listening to you because everybody is just saying that you're supposed to be the boss of your horse and the horse is supposed to do every single thing you say right when you ask and there's no room for the horse to you know disobey or whatever so I think it's just a lot of social pressure too from other people 
that you need to have the horse listen. And especially in terms of like positive reinforcement too, if you aren't showing like good progress with it or whatever, if you aren't kind of showing that it's effective, then you're probably going to feel like you're getting more criticism for already doing something that's out of the ordinary. So I think there's also a lot of pressure in boarding barns, if, even if you do kind of openly use positive reinforcement to be getting those results. And sometimes that can probably lead to more coercive methods of positive reinforcement if you're kind of feeling that pressure. Yeah, I feel like a lot of us end up in a position where we feel like we have to show off to kind of show that it actually works. And that's okay if you can manage that. But I think a lot of people are more likely to go to the coercive side of it and make the horse do the behavior just so that they feel better because they got someone else's approval. And that's not really necessary. Like we can just do our own thing, not pay attention to them and they'll see that it's working or they'll just turn their head and look the other way, whatever works. But if you and the horse are happy, that's what's most important. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, like positive reinforcement definitely works and is definitely very effective. But on the other hand, like me personally, I also don't really care. Like even if it's not as effective, even if it's not really doing all that much, like I'm just having fun and I'm just hanging out with my horses and they're having fun too. And everybody's happy and just hanging out and having a good time. So like effectiveness just isn't really something that I think about, but it's like when people are watching, I feel like I have to think about it just because I know that's what other people's priority is, is they want to see effects and they want to see real change happening with the behaviors. And like, it is happening. My horses have learned some really cool things and whatnot, but there's still just, I don't really like feeling that pressure that they need to be doing a certain thing or they need to have progressed to a certain point. And I mean, some of that is internal too. Like the fact that I still haven't completely finished the foundations course and I started it in like February. So it's been a very long time, but I mean, a lot of the time I just train without necessarily, cause I was, I was really going according to the course. Like I was doing every session that Adele was doing. So that's partially why it was taking me a long time. And also I just don't go out there as much, or if I do go out there, I'm not always trying to do a training session. I'm sometimes just hanging out with them. And so I was also like definitely putting some internal pressure on myself to be like, oh, I need to do this faster and I need to get through this course, but really it's fine. Like everybody's happy. Everybody's doing good things and that's enough. Yeah, I definitely feel that too, because it's week two of the course I started and there's people that have already taken the quiz for the first section. That's crazy. I don't know how they're so fast. Oh my gosh, that is crazy. (laughs) I don't know how they did it. There were some people that I think were honestly done like a week ago. That's insane. Wow, that is insane. Like (laughs) I respect it. And I think if you really have that time to go through it, that's great. But I also have to wonder, like if you couldn't get more from it, if you kind of spread it out more and did the training sessions with the horse or at least did some of the training sessions with the horse um I don't know like again it's their their learning and their process so if that's what's best for them then it's not really my place to question that but for me if I did it in a week I would not get much out of that I don't think I'd have to quit my job to be that fast yeah (laughs) I don't even work that much so (laughs) I'm also a really heavy note taker when I'm taking courses though because I really want to take in everything I can so I think that's part of why I'm so much farther behind too because I have notes for things that I already knew just because hearing someone else say it a different way sometimes helps you think more about it 
Yeah, that's a good point. And you're definitely further along than I was. I didn't finish any of the months on time. I think I finished the first month about halfway through the second month. And then I finished the second month, like, I think past when the course had technically ended, because the course goes for three months, and then you have three more months that you can still access it. But obviously, if you're in the um, academy, you can just access it anytime. But yeah, so I think I finished the second part, maybe like in the fourth month or so. And then the third part, I still haven't finished, but I haven't worked on it in a bit because mostly when I've been going out there, I've been working on stuff for the show. So I don't necessarily need or feel inclined to watch those videos and like work on the actual course right now, because I know what I need to work on, which is the behaviors in the show. So I'm just kind of like doing my own training plans and whatnot. And I, like I said, I like to actually do the, the lessons that she's showing in the videos. So I'm kind of waiting until I'm ready to like continue doing those lessons until I watch more. Yeah, I'm trying to follow along that way too, but I'm on mostly just protected contact right now, like just knowing where to keep their head and to not mug you. And my horses are super bored of that after like a minute (laughs) because they've already done it for so long. So realistically, I could probably skip that and go to something else, but I'm really trying to take in everything I can from this course, especially because they both have a lot of foundation behaviors, but they were both taught those behaviors when I was first starting out. So it was very slow and very sloppy. So I'm trying to like perfect it a little more, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I think too, like you already have like the foundations kind of down with your horses, like just in general. So that makes it a lot easier to kind of move through some of the course without having to go through it as in depth, like with the horses. So that's good. Whereas for me, like I had done a little bit of training with my horses before I started the course, but I was like very nervous about it because I didn't know how to tell Joe that I wanted to do it or like ask her if I could do it. And so I would just kind of like, I used like a rag as a target and I would just do like very easy little targeting things. And whenever she would come downstairs, I would get like nervous and stop doing it and whatnot. So It was more of like when I started the course that I was able to go to Joe and be like, hey, this is something that I really want to do with your horses. This is the course that I'm going to take. Are you okay if I do that? And so the course kind of gave me like a reason to ask her about it and to get more open about doing it with her horses. So I was kind of starting from like pretty close to the beginning with them when I started the course. So it was like more beneficial to really go through every session with them Um, whereas like if I were starting the course with them like now when I've already been doing it with them for a while I might skip over some of the sessions or kind of not necessarily have to go through every single one and that kind of goes back to the social pressure training with that with positive reinforcement and then feeling like you have to stop when someone comes around (laughs) I definitely experienced that a lot and then I got more comfortable doing it and it just it kind of became what I did so I didn't feel as uncomfortable, but I feel like that's still kind of always inside of us for a long time when we're doing it because it's just not normal. Like it's not what most people do. So it can be really hard to be outspoken about it. Yeah. I mean, in general, it's hard to be like the outsider of a group of people who all do things one way. And also for people who just like have anxiety in general, like that's (laughs) especially hard. (laughs) Yeah. So so when you add those together... Yeah, (laughs) not a very comfortable combination, but 
that's okay because it's worth it but yeah <laughs> semi-related but the last barn we were at the barn owner's husband came out one time when I was training and he asked what I was doing because he said he thought it was cool and I thought that was really sweet and then he was like do you want me to feed the horses hay before you come or no because I don't feed my dogs before I train them so they're better and it was very sweet and I liked his attempt to help out but <laughs> yeah <it's> just, <laughs> yeah it was cool though and he would always ask Wonder to smile like anytime they went out to get hay and it is cool to see some people being open to it even if that's not what they do themselves and I sadly don't think that's normally what happens yeah that's really sweet of him it sounds like he really meant well and just maybe didn't know as much as like he probably should have but yeah. he still he still sounded like he had really good intentions and was really trying to be open to it so that's really sweet I really like that yeah it's cool mean... when people want to learn about it and are open to it like Joe I mean Joe doesn't do any of it herself but she's very open to it and very accepting of me doing it so I really appreciate that yeah I mean I did cringe a little bit but it was still really sweet <laughs> it's a good thought yeah, I guess, yeah. yeah, really listen to the horse and make sure that if you're using tactile cues, you aren't doing it in a way that the horse is finding aversive by understanding their body language and making sure they're not showing signs of stress. Yeah, another thing, I do have a last thing, record yourself, because you're not going to see everything oh, yeah. your horse is doing, but having that camera there, you can really break it down. You can put it in like 0.5 times speed and really see everything the horse is doing. And that'll help you pick up on those signals if you don't always see them in person. And then it can help you know what to work on next. Yes, that's a really good point. Recording is just pretty much good for everything. So just do it. Yeah, you don't have to post anywhere. It can be just for you. But it's a really good yeah. way to know what to do next. And I guess pay attention to your own body language and your horses. Yes, that's a good thing to end on. Good <laughs> point. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed this episode of Click Treat Repeat. Feel free to check us out on Instagram at Click Treat Repeat Pod. You can find Jen at Genuine Equine and myself at Bonafide.bt. We upload new episodes every Monday and hope to see you then. Happy training! <laughs>